Welcome to the Auditorium, a portal to the fringes of culture. Well, hello and welcome to the Auditorium. With me, your presenter, Dr. David Bramwell, and my co-presenter... Hmm? Oh, sorry, I wasn't listening. Uh, David Manfield. And oh. Are you on Facebook again? Sorry? Oh, yes. Sorry, no, it's oh, just... Oh, come a... on, we're in the... St- we're, we're, this is... This I is know, costing us £3 an hour being in here. God, it's it. Yeah, yeah, it this is. This is going to ruin us. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I, it's just so addictive. I mean, I, about six months ago, I clicked on one of those seven Let's amazing lists. Look, what are you looking this, at? This one. Look at that one. You won't believe what this Glaswegian chartered accountant does next. Yeah, look, look. Oh, look. go on then. Let's have a look. Look. Oh, yeah. And. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's. Hang ju- on. Well, hang on a minute. Yeah. That f- Fiji get down the right hand side. Why does it say gimp masks especially for you? Um, I don't know what that's about. Um, that's... Well, well, there's another one there. What's that say? That says um, naked women eating pies. Uh, yeah. Anyway, exclusively let's... for Mr. David Mountfield. It's got that's your Lewis address as well on there. It's, and it knows your age. Well, it, knows, it seems to know everything about you. But this is a, we're, we're, <laughs> we, you know, this is all fed to us, not terribly well. But you know, quite... I, I don't understand how it works. I've got no idea why well, it, lady yeah. boys. It's have... algorithms. Algorithms. Well, that, that's a band, isn't it? No, no, no. Come on, Dave. Algorithms are a kind of um, moss. It's almost like a kind of uh, they grow on the internet, and uh, the moss sort of knows what we want. Um, oh, it's an all an all seeing moss. Is oh, I, yeah, I, I don't. I think we're getting confused. We, what al- we need. It's like an algae, you know. It's a oh, rhythm- is that called an algae rhythm? Yeah. If you know, what would be great yeah. would be if we had a talk. If we a had talk. a talk about how algorithms kind of work on the internet. And should we should we get rid of Attenborough and replace him? Yeah, bump him. Bump Let's Attenborough. Bump Attenborough. Okay. Okay. And Alan Moore. We'll bump them. Yeah. And what we'll get is uh, an Eric Drass. We've got somewhere in the vault. We've got Eric Drass talking about algorithmic art. I think it'd be perfect. We could we could understand what, how this stuff works. Why not? Let's listen. Uh, right, so my name is Shardcore, uh, or Eric Drass, and tonight I'm going to talk to you about algorithms, art, and idea space. Um, an algorithm is a process that does something, follows some rules to get to a conclusion. These days we tend to use the term algorithm to cover a whole range of things that computers do. Um, the algorithm that recommends something on Amazon for you. People who bought this might like that. That's a kind of the kind of an example of an algorithm that's in use uh, in the world outside. The other concept here is idea space. Uh, so Alan Moore has this concept of idea space. So he talks about reality in terms of external reality, the stuff that we can see and feel and interact with. But there's also a parallel world of ideas. The the ideas that are a kind of another reality where when we have a creative impulse, uh, we discover something in idea space. It's out there, pre-existing, and exists in our minds and our consciousness. Uh, It doesn't really exist in the physical world. Uh, This is quite a lot, for me, it's quite a lot about the process of generating art, is exploring into this idea space. So where does culture live now? Uh, It lives in us. It also lives in machines. It lives in the browser cache of your web browser. It lives in your Facebook posts. It lives in the data trail sitting at your telephone operator's data center that's tracking every one of us as we go about our daily lives. Culture lives here. This is a server farm in the middle of the desert owned by Facebook. That's where culture is now. 
That's what it is. Stuff's going on there. The interactions between humans are being recorded, stored, and analyzed algorithmically in places like that. I tend to think of culture as an organism. So rather than thinking about culture being the stuff that sits in books or we enjoy when we go to the opera, uh, culture itself is the animal. Culture exists partially in all of us. The bits, there are bits that overlap. There's an overlap of English language culture amongst us. We all speak English. Um, but if we all had our minds erased by some crazy alien mind wiper and our books were burnt, we'd wake up tomorrow morning and we'd have to bang rocks together. We'd have nothing. As humans, we don't have any culture in us. The culture exists only between us on the stuff that we talk about and we communicate to each other. So my work as an artist uh, deals with what I call algo culture, which is this interface between human culture and machine stuff. So the traditional way of creating culture is you get some knowledge, get some ideas, add a little magic creativity dust, and a bit of culture comes out. Uh, these days, algorithms are getting in the way. So let's start with uh, making art with algorithms. It's kind of like having an artist's apprentice. It's like having someone else to do the kind of dirty work for you. If you were an artist's apprentice in the old days, you would have been um, probably a poor kid uh, from a village. You would have been taken from your home at the age of 12, and you would have swept the floor for 10 years. Then you would have mixed some pigments, and eventually you get to draw some little trees in the background. And at the very, very end, maybe you get to be a painter. It's not like that anymore. We've got computers to do that, right? So when I use algorithms to be my artist's apprentice, like Mickey Mouse here, I'd say, go away and make something for me, but you're really fast, and there's lots of you, and you can generate thousands and thousands of things for me. It's kind of an opportunity to have thousands of artist apprentices really cheap. I think what people forget is uh, machines aren't really like us. So when we think they're really humans on steroids, they're not, they're kind of, kind of weirdly autistic. They're really good at remembering stuff, really good at the details, really good at the analysis, but not so much about the kind of emoting or understanding or kind of, you know, the stuff that we like and humans take for granted. Machines aren't like that. Um, when, when we post uh, to our social media profile that we had a great lunch, um, we accept someone to like it and then forget about it. But the machine that you posted it on remembers forever. It doesn't care whether you posted that 30 seconds ago or in the dawn of time. It's there forever. And this makes us into stalkers. Uh, how many people in this room have Googled someone before meeting them? So a quick show of hands. You've got a name, and you're like, oh, I want to find... You see quite a lot, right? But we all think we're really fucking clever, right? We're like, oh, I like some sort of spy, look. I looked on the second page of Google. <laughs> I like found who his ex-girlfriend is and looked at her pictures and there was for no reason for that. But anyway, it's made us into weird freaks. Um, and why is that? Because social media is like crack, right? Um, we love it. We love new bits of information. It really excites us. Um, each new notification we get 
gives us a little hit, gives us a dopamine hit. That's what we're wired for, right? We were built to get excited by novelty. So what gave us big brains, which got us down from the trees and out into the world and, you know, ended up in bars having drinks, which is all pretty good. Um, but it came from this hit that you get from novelty. And that hit is wired into us as primates. Um, it's very useful if you're out on the African savanna and you see a tiger to go, ah, that might eat me. I should keep, eye out, keep my eye out for future tigers. You get a little hit, it's like, oh, novelty, tiger, excitement. Now we get 20,000 Twitter updates in an hour. We still get the same biological hit, something new, click that link. 10 most fashionable babies, whatever it is, right? You won't believe what this cat did next. <laughs> so um, I built a Twitter bot that does this. Um, <clears throat> uh, this is Alex, and she's your best friend. Uh, she lives on Twitter, and when you post things, uh, she likes it, and she replies to you. She goes, hey, great tweet, fantastic. I really like what you're saying there. Um, and she keeps watching you, and after a while, she posts you a little kind of card that she's made with your picture on it and your name um, and maybe what you've been talking about. So far, so friendly. Um, but after a while, she then starts rummaging under your bed for those uh, photos that you've forgotten about. Another thing that she does is starts writing you poetry. Uh, after a while, she'll watch what you've been saying, and she reads all of your words, and she generates these... Um, these poems for you based out of the things that you've said. People love this. Nothing they love more than having themselves reflected back. Um, and because she's a robot, uh, she can do it in any language. So this is a French follower and she's generating French poetry. Um, so far, all of these interactions have been with you as a direct message. She's just talked to you. No one, no one else knows about this. There's one thing she does in public, which is she spots you in the street. So if you have um, your geotagging left on your Twitter, I know where you are on the planet within 10 meters when you send that tweet. If you don't interact with her and tell your friends about her, she gets a bit pissed off. Um, and if you reply to her, she has only one response, which is the universal lubricant of social media, the smiley face. <laughs> All right, so uh, two conclusions. Conclusion one, uh, what does it look like in 2015? What does culture really look like? And what's actually happening is that data that's being spat out by us and the robots uh, is being consumed by these algorithmic systems who are then analyzing it. These systems don't really know whether they're humans or robots any more than you do when you're interacting with someone online. Um, you don't really know whether you're speaking to a human a lot of the time. Current estimates put the proportion of Twitter to be about 8.5% not human. 23 million Twitter users aren't actually human. Um, and it gets weirder as you scale up. So you've got a bunch of people, and you've got a bunch of algorithmic systems looking at them. And then those, the output of those systems um, are being looked at by someone else. What the fuck is this guy thinking? <laughs> and this is the world that we're living in, where there's these multiple layers between us and our bot brethren, and the interpretations that we see. Um, and this is perhaps concerning. Um, we spend a lot of our time worried about the great singularity and 
massive machine brains taking over and subjugating us. But a lot of the stuff that's the precursor to that is already happening. The precursor of the big brother singularity is there in your Amazon wish list. It's there in your Facebook curation. Now, if you've logged into Facebook today, you've interacted with an algorithm that chose the things that it thought you should see as one of the things that were necessarily posted by your friends. One project I'm going to talk about very briefly is this device called Broken X. And it's a digital therapist for men. And you can go and talk to this machine, and she'll talk back. And she'll help you through whatever it is that you need to talk about. Um, it has a degree of tongue-in-cheekness about it, but it also actually really worked. People really like talking to machines, particularly guys, in a weird way. My expectation was that, oh, this is going to be odd and I don't want to do it. But in fact, if you put someone in a room with a machine that's dispassionate, they actually quite like talking about it if you guide them the right way. And I think that's what we need to be putting into machines, is a bit of humanity. You know, we just need to be thinking about who's generating these algorithms, who's controlling, who's curating my life. Right? Is it, you know, is it Facebook or is it other humans? You know, we're actually a bit emotional. We're frequently intoxicated. So I wondered what that would look like. And so for my final little project here, let's talk about uh, TrippingBot. So TrippingBot is based on a neural network model of uh, language acquisition, which I've tried to train on the uh, works of Erowid. I don't know how many people are familiar with Erowid online, but it's a repository of drug reports. People take drugs, they write about it, they post it on Erowid. Uh, I trained a neural network to try and generate these drug reports um, and used it to create a tripping robot. So uh, she starts taking drugs at about six o'clock in the evening and then gives a drug report every now and then about how she's feeling. Uh, it coursed throughout the Sunday. I feel old now. I would disappear, or school, along the darkness into the acid. Well, that's okay. Yeah, reasonably coherent. But as she starts taking more drugs, she gets a bit more fucked up. Um, and interestingly, because of the way she learns the language, she uh, generates these weird blends. So, pianth flutting. What a wonderful phrase that is, pianth flutting. I don't know what that is. It's like jabberwock. Um, but as she slowly breaks down, she gets more and more messed up until um, she gets pretty incoherent. I'm feeling 5.01 p.m. Um, and interspersed with this, it, she tells you what drugs she's taking. Um, uh, she's now been tripping. She trips between the hours of uh, 6 p.m. and midnight every day. Uh, she's been tripping every day for about four weeks now. Um, she recently posted this. Uh, I'm feeling 1685 something something, frost. And then down here, took floaty shit. <laughs> a quicker conclusion. Conclusion two, uh, the future's coming, it's fucking weird. Don't believe anyone who tells you they know what's going on. Because no one really knows what's going on. Um, there are algorithms being created to control loads of aspects of our lives. And so far, they're living online in your computer, but they're already spreading into the world. Um, they're already influencing the things that you buy. What's the kind of products you'll see on Tesco shelves in Brighton will be different than they are in Doncaster. Algorithms decided that, because they've decided that we like quinoa more than the people in Doncaster. So I guess... I want to leave you with a question, which is, um, who do you want out there exploring 
your idea space. Thank you very much. Eric Drass there, a.k.a. Shardcore, the artist. Yes. A.k.a. Neil. I don't know what his surname is. He has many different names. He, uh, he told me once that he can make follower bots. So if you're on Twitter, you can, you can have these bots that follow you that appear to be real people. And uh, his ultimate ambition, which he may have already re- realised, I don't know, this was a couple of years ago now, is that you can sell them in batches. So if you're a company or an individual and you want to appear to be enormously popular, um, you can just buy, you know, 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 bots. Completely uh, immoral. Completely immoral. Is it? it well, you why, know. Why is that immoral? Complete, what, completely. For, how much are they? Oh, yeah. Well, um, they're out of our range, unfortunately. I think we could probably buy about 10. Um, we could do with another 10 on Twitter. We could do with another 10. We really could. Okay. More, what pound should you offer them? What pound each? I think so. Maybe fifty p for cash. Yeah. And Look, the, you I, know. I, 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 Lance popped off to the loo, and I just got this tenner out of his pocket. Beautiful. That's, yeah. We'll blow that on bots. Let's blow it on bots. Excellent. Yes. I like I like the trickery of uh, of, of Neil's work, and I guess and it sort of for me it follows in the great tradition of of trickery, the subversion Pranksters. of yeah, the subversion yes. of of media, and I was I've been thinking about this for a while that that the trickster kind of comes out of his rabbit hole when when new media comes you know comes into uh, into being yeah. and, and, and you know we sort of live in a <laughs> how can i muck with this uh, yeah, exactly yeah. yeah and we live in a golden age of, of of trickery and pranks because because of all the various ways that you can subvert websites and subvert amazon and subvert twitter feeds as neil is doing I and mean, what i love about amazon you must know this about the fake not only do you oh, get fake reviews. those wonderful fake reviews but also you now have people putting up fake prices so the the um the nick ross canvas oh yes but, so that was the one that sort of started it all off people no were, it was before that oh, it was, was, the, was it? there was a lot of uh, fake um reviews well actually real reviews but hilarious for um veet the, uh, oh, the depilatory cream yes yeah yeah and, and then the and the and the ladies pen by bick was, yes. is another one uh but the but the nick ross uh canvas picture if you go, if you Google it, go look, go on Amazon. People are selling it for six thousand pounds or more. There's, there's one, there's one for sale for six thousand, and there's one that's slightly soiled for six and a half thousand. <laughs> and I love that. Just people, you know, we just don't. As a species, I wrote one of those reviews actually. Did you? Uh, yes, did, I did you? I joined in. It was, it's fun. I like all that. Yeah. And I was, I was interested in the trickster, and I wanted to see how far back you could go in history to see to find examples of of new media being subverted by people and I, and I thought well for for a start we can only go back in terms of recorded history and and particular in, term, in well, terms in terms of there's that caveman who did all those yeah, yeah, yeah. in the <laughs> south of France who's probably having fun well the, fur- the furthest I could find was back in the Victorian days uh, a chap called Reginald Bray right who bought a copy of the post office manual this was this was written for the workers for the post office workers for the for the relatively newly formed postal service in the UK and wasn't intended for public consumption and he bought this in 1898 and read it and decided to to treat treat it treat the the postal service as a challenge and that he would send increasingly bizarre objects through the mail starting with 
onions and cigarettes and shirt collars with the address written written um, on the objects right. and then sent his dog through the mail because it said in the manual the smallest living thing you could send was a bee and the largest was a giraffe or an <laughs> elephant I forget which and so he sent his dog and then finally he sent himself but he did it in style he was a cyclist so he went on bike by by bike through the Royal Mail and had himself delivered back to his bemused father <laughs> <laughs> so how did the mail deliver him I don't understand how did they do that I think they probably just accompanied him. Right, OK. I think they accompanied him. But he said that it was it was of practical use because he said if, if mothers didn't have time to send their children to school... They because could post they, them. They could post them as parcels. <laughs> and the weird thing That's is... That's like Flat Stanley. It is like Flat Stanley. The weird thing is that, that photographic evidence of this came right. up. Someone, someone emailed me this uh, a while ago, hmm. that in America in the 1850s, they were doing exactly that, and there's pictures of postmen with these with these kind of you know man bag satchels slung over their shoulders, with a child <laughs> propped into the bag, being 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 taken That's off to school. Wonderful. That reminds me of the famous case of the chap who changed his name by Deepole to Barclays Bank, a thieving bastards, so that they were forced to make out checkbooks. <laughs> and uh, and then I think he got got further, and he posted them a check for to settle an account on the side of a cow, so. Uh, a live cow was delivered to Barclays Bank with with a check for the amount on his credit credit card on on the side of it. And of course, because you can make a check on anything, you don't have to use a, a regular checkbook. You can just, as long as you're writing out the required details, you can send anything. Um, so, I you like know, that. I like but anyway, that. it's probably time we did a biscuit. It's been I'm, a long time since we've done a biscuit. It has. It's I'm, time for a biscuit. I'm getting peckish, and we have got it's. Let's be honest. In a in a in a family box of biscuits yes it's never the one that you go for first is it no i disagree really oh absolutely really no this is my number one biscuit you're kidding no 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 absolutely it has all the beauty of a custard cream but added chocolate it's wonderful i would say it's the second biscuit to come off the plate after the custard cream custard cream first but it's it's a fine working biscuit it's a good dunker it is the middle bit holds it i i'm i'm all for the bob and cream there's nothing wrong with it but the interesting thing here mm. really is not so much the nature of the biscuit itself let's just have a little taste mm. 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 is a bit um, dry mm. is the derivation of the name they're mm. shrouded in mystery apparently well not really oh it's on the internet but <laughs> Everything's nothing shrouded in mystery anymore, is it? <laughs> All just on the blooming internet. Well, yeah. So, nineteen um, thirties. So I thought it was based on the bottle of bourbon. No, it's all bollocks. Oh, that's... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So the biscuit came out in the nineteen thirties. Apparently, the bourbon was was invented, was created in a secret laboratory uh, in the in the Cadbury's R and D department by a Doctor Hans Zellock. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. That'd be the supervillain name. It's wonderful, is. isn't it? And what I love about this is hmm. that Zellock which is German, literally translates as, I've got ten holes. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so he decided... Doctor, to, I've got ten holes. Doctor, I've got ten holes. And That's like the start of a joke, isn't it? Hands, hands, yeah. ten holes. Yeah. Um, so he decided to put ten holes into the bourbon biscuit so that he will be immortalised. OK. But that doesn't explain That's... why it's called a bourbon. No, it doesn't. No, it explains why he's got ten holes. But in I it. like the idea. So, he's, he's made a kind of pun on his own name in the. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it was um, particularly for a German as well. Yes. So it was um, it was invented in Bourneville, which right. is uh, just outside of, of it's Birmingham, the model town that Cadbury's formed. But but uh, Doctor Hans Zenlock was originally from Bonn. He was originally from Bonn, um, but then he had to flee Bonn in 1945. The great um, biscuit massacre. And, and take his take his. 
Nazi uniform off and, and settle down in, in Bergen. <laughs> very, very no, that's not true. I made that up. It's not no, true. No, it's 1930. True. It was 1930. Operation Paperclip, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah so, um, no, no, this, this is also very interesting. So because the word Bourbon was based on putting those two words together, Bourneville and Bonn, yeah. we're called a Bourbon, but oh. Bonn, as we know in Germany, has two N's. So originally, ah. do you one? So originally mm. the Bourbon biscuit was spelt B-O-U-R-B-O-N-N. Double M. N. Now, mm. in 1963... This is great. Yeah. yeah Cadbury's removed the N yeah. and they snuck it onto the beginning... Of another biscuit. Of another biscuit, which, of which should, yeah, and th- and th- and there it has remained, ah, and no and one's ever known that. So well, there's our competition for this yeah. week, ladies and gentlemen, listenership. I want all of you, all four of you, to let us know what biscuit did the N on Bourbon at the end transmigrate to on the other biscuit. I yeah. could have phrased that better. No, mm. I like the I don't like the use of the word transmigrate. Oh, okay, so there's an N that's been moving biscuits. Mm. And there's big, big money to be won. What's the prize? Shit. Um, we haven't thought this bit through, have we? Um, whose pen's that? That's, uh, that's, that's Lance's an, pen. That's Lance's pen that you right. wrote Pedo okay. Bear on. Yeah. Um, this pen. This pen. <laughs> Lance's pen. Okay. But, Lance's I mean, but pen. If you're, oh, sorry, we'll get Lance to sign it. No, I'll spoil it. Okay. Um, why I, I, I think for if people are really big fans of of the auditorium, yeah. having a pen that, that has touched. been in Lance's hand, yeah, that's true. I'd wash it first, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think that'd be quite a nice prize. Oh, so it's a lovely prize. Lance's pen. So which biscuit did the N move from and to? Move to. Well, yes, yeah, so the beginning of. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, and we'll give them a clue. It's not the custard cream. It's not because that would be the nusted cream. It would. Yeah, yeah. Or the n custard cream. <laughs> the custard cream. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. on that bombshell. <laughs> We'll see you for the next auditorium. Bye, bye. Bye. <laughs> the auditorium is presented by Dr. David Bramwell and Mr. David Mountfield. The producers are Lance Dan and Andrew Mailing. You can discover more about the show at oddpodcast.com, where you can find out about upcoming events and festival shows. If you'd like to give a talk about something that you're passionate about, then email us at contact at oddpodcast.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Odd Podcast UK. Talks from the Auditorium are featured in Ernest Journal, a magazine for the curious and adventurous. If you like the Auditorium, then please leave a review for us on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs>